What is up, team? Welcome back to the show. Today, I am joined by Marcy Nevin. Marcy, thank you so much for being here. You are so welcome, Jeremiah. Thank you for having me. I've got to say, I... I've been following you for quite some time now and know that you do the podcast. I've listened to your podcast and I was like, when am I going to get the invite? <laughs> I want the invite. <laughs> so here we are. Thank you. It's of course, that that is super cool to me. That makes me kind of nervous. Uh, I've been, I think I would said this via DM, but when I first started creating content in like 2017, I remember you were like one of the people that I followed and I'd always like go look at your stuff to like kind of figure out like, okay, what should I be talking about? Like, how are people doing this? So it's super cool to like have you here now. And honestly, it's super cool to hear that. Well, yeah, things come full circle. So thank you for saying that. Uh, and, you know, I'll be honest, I still do that myself with other people's content that I respect. <laughs> I was like, how did they do that? So right? yeah, absolutely. Perfect. Okay. So first and foremost, I do want to dig into your story just a bit, but for the listeners that might not know, can you just give us a quick background on who you are and what you're, what you're up to? Yeah, absolutely. So obviously I am Marcy and I am a, I call myself a health and fitness coach. I mean, that's pretty the, pretty much like the broad category, but I specifically work with women who do want to, I'd say the majority of them come to me with a fat loss goal or some sort of physique improvement goal. And what we typically do on the back end is a lot more emotional and mindset work because that really is the foundation of any type of change, whether it's physique change or something else that you are trying to create in your life. You have to have the mental and the emotional piece down first, or at least you'll be working on it before you can really Mm -hmm. start to make that change. So that is a foundational part of my coaching and yeah, I've been doing the online thing now for, well, you said 2017. So mm-hmm. it's interesting because I had tried to be doing it maybe like a year before that, a year and a half. Yeah. I had joined a fitness business mentorship or mastermind, I think in July, or excuse me, um, May of 2015. And I was just posting like pics of my dog and, you know, random workouts, pictures of my food. Like, why am I not getting clients? (laughs) Uh, Even when I was, you know, part of this business coaching group. So it wasn't until May of 2017 that, and I told the story so many times, people are like, can you shut up about that? But it really is. It's a transformative transformative story. I was on a call with Jordan Syatt and he was like the king, aside from Carter Good, of infographics at that time. And I am not, I do not consider myself a creative person. So when you said that about my content earlier, I was like, wow, I'm so honored. But I saw all these infographics and I was like, there's no way I'm going to be able to create those. So I asked Jordan, I said, do you think I will fall behind that I won't be able to build my business if I don't get on board this infographic train? He's like, well, you don't have to do anything, but I would strongly encourage it because yeah, you might get left behind. It's like, so that being said, I want a infographic up on your page by Thursday. And this was on a Tuesday. It's like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, I don't even know where to start. So I put something together. It took me six hours. It was the ugliest thing. <laughs> like a monkey could have created it. Right. But it, it got like 800 likes. It was like, it had almost as many likes as I did followers. I was like, Oh wow, there's really something to this. And so I just, you know, kept going, continued to evolve. Um, And then my business did start to grow slowly from there. But I was also an in-person coach 
from the time I was, gosh, I think 25 until when I was 37, right when quarantine happened. So lockdown, my gym shut down overnight and I had to go all in on the online business, which I'm very grateful. It's almost like it was a a blessing because I've been wanting Mm -hmm. to do it, but just didn't have like the full confidence in myself to make that leap. Uh, So yeah, COVID forced me out of the the comfort nest. (laughs) And now here we are. That's super interesting. I've had a couple of people on the show where COVID was the thing that kind of forced it to happen. Mm-hmm. I found a lot of online coaches kind of have an event that's something like that, that almost like had to force their hand in order to get there. It's just interesting to hear people's stories on that. Oh, I mean, I would probably still be in that damn gym. <laughs> <laughs> miserable, you know, totally miserable. <laughs> for my, but yeah, so it was a, a good thing in some regards. Okay. I'm curious because like, I really don't know a whole lot about your story. So how did you get into it? Oh man. Uh, For me. uh, So when I graduated, like right when I graduated high school, I was getting super into training. Um, Me and one of my buddies thought it would just be hilarious if we could, this is the stupidest, like most pro story ever. But if we could do like a little peck pop thing, we thought it'd be so hilarious to be able to like do that in a serious conversation. So that was like our whole goal for getting into the gym. Uh-huh. And then my dad, one of his friends had like given him a tub of pre-workout. And this was like in the time of like Jack or Jack Fruity and like all, all of this shit. Um, my dad just for some reason gave me a tub of pre-workout, which I like did, had no idea what it was. And like all my friends thought it was like steroids. <laughs> but anyways, me and my buddy just took pre-workout and we're like, this is the craziest thing ever, right? When did like every single lift we could think of in the gym. And that day I was like, I'm going to be a personal trainer, mm. <laughs> but like online somehow, which is the weirdest thing at the time, like in 2011, I really, like I had never even like been that into training before, but since then, then I started, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Corey Gregory. No. Not okay. Okay, so he was like when Muscle Farm was big, he was like big into back in the day, very much like a content producer. Um, and at the start, like I would I followed him on Twitter. This is like before I even had Instagram, I would like screenshot his workouts, he would like post his workouts that he was doing every day. Um, and he was just like creating content in like 2011, 2012, 2013. And I thought that was like the coolest thing that like I don't know how he's doing this, but he's somehow like just like talking about his workouts like helping people, but it's all online. So it's reaching so many more people. Um, and basically for me, it just evolved from like, that was just always what I knew I wanted to do. And I never really thought I was going to do anything else. Um, I love people, it. Maybe train people in person. Yeah, absolutely. Same people in person from 2014 to 2018. And then decided to go all in on the online side of things when it didn't really make sense. So I had like three clients, but left my job at the gym and kind of put my back against the wall um, and here we are. Here we are. Well, I, and I do think that when you have your back against the wall is when you really make something happen. Mm-hmm. So I think oh, for absolutely. both of us, it was probably the best thing that we could have done. No, no, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. let's dig into your journey a little bit. Cause I don't want to make this podcast about me. Oh, I know. You've had some crazy things. It seems in your fitness journey with your health. I know you've talked about like working through chronic illness, working yeah. with Vince Pitstick. Can you dig into a little bit more like what that journey has been for you? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a long one. So I will try to keep it to the cliff notes. But essentially, you know, I I feel like I was a healthy kid growing up. So (laughs) I did 
Well, this like to take it way back. And I feel like this is a part of how I got sick. So I was born via C-section and what we know now about gut health is when that happens, like your gut is a little bit, I don't want to say compromised, but you're not getting all the good bacteria. And then although I was fairly healthy growing up, I did have the occasional sinus infection, ear infection. So I was given antibiotics. I think that was another issue. I do have the genetic propensity for autoimmunity. So I have what's called psoriasis, which is an autoimmune disease. But up until I would say my, what was it? My junior year of college, like I felt great. I will say, however, when I was younger, I was a little bit overweight, which a lot of people don't believe, but that's really how my own fitness journey started. It was like, I don't feel good about myself. I'm self-conscious because I'm overweight. So I'm going to start exercising. I'm going to start dieting. And, you know, like it didn't really move the needle until high school. I went on Weight Watchers. I did lose weight, started to feel better about myself, and then started to like really get into lifting pretty seriously my sophomore mm-hmm. year. So I had a boyfriend at the time. We would go to the gym. We would lift. We would run, all those things. Um, and then you're probably too young for this, Jeremiah, but because you're what, 27? 28. 28. Okay. I was trying to do the math from what you were saying earlier. So 28, I'm 38. So yeah, you're, you were still in elementary school at this time. But I, my senior year of high school, I was taking a sports medicine class and we did a unit on health and fitness. And the, the textbook was a book called Body for Life from, written by this guy. Oh, yeah. Okay. You know. All right. So, so yeah, I was following body for life, which was really the start of the kind of like clean eating movement. So five or six small meals per day, you would have, you know, your chicken and rice and broccoli. And then the next meal would be your protein shake. It was really a way for him to sell his supplements. Let's be honest. But you know, like it kind of got me moving in the right direction. Um, introduced me to more, I guess, progressive overload strength training, that kind of thing. So by the time I graduated from high school, I was feeling pretty good about myself. But I think what triggered it was my boyfriend was a year older. He went off to college and I was so devastated because like at that time he was my world, right? Like, how could you leave me? And I said, I'm going to show him when he comes back from break, like I'm going to be this you know hot number and he's going to be so, so upset that he left. Well, anyway, that I think it triggered a little bit of disordered eating maybe. And then I got to college and the joke is, you know, most people gain the freshman 15. Well, I lost the freshman 15. Part of it is because I think I was very regimented with my nutrition. I was still in that clean eating mindset. So not really following the body for life stuff, but now following all of the advice in the fitness magazines, like oxygen, muscle and fitness hers, which was essentially looking back on it. Now knowing what I do, it was a contest prep diet. And so go to the gym and do 45 minutes of cardio in the morning, then lift weights, then go back in the evening and do more cardio, eat, you know, chicken and broccoli. And, and I was just following like for no, no better judgment or no lack of judgment on my own, uh, following what I was shown in the fitness magazines. And, and that just kind of, I think took things to the next level. So now I was severely underweight. I was stressed out from school, you know, drinking, not sleeping enough. And then compromising my body, putting too much stress on it, doing all this exercise, probably eating, I don't know, 1,000, 1,200 calories a day, if I had to guess. Um, 
and I developed an autoimmune disease my junior year. I went on a houseboating trip, came home or came back to my sorority. And I was like, man, why am I so itchy? Like my skin was itching everywhere. And I woke up the next day covered in these red spots, which was then diagnosed about three weeks later, as psoriasis. Um, didn't really know a whole lot about it at the time. All I was told was you're going to have this for the rest of your life. Here's a steroid cream to help it go away. And then the next year, uh, a week before I graduated, I was on the step mill doing my cardio and I got this like tightness in my chest and I couldn't breathe. So very long story short, uh, this has already gotten very long. And I was like, oh, I have a heart condition. You know, I'm going to die. All this really scary stuff. So I started going to different doctors and having all the tests run. They couldn't really figure anything out. And um, yeah, it was a very long journey throughout my, I guess, entire twenties of trying to figure out what was wrong with my health and not getting a whole lot of answers. And then seeking out functional medicine, figuring out that not only do you have autoimmune disease, but you have Lyme disease, your gut health is compromised, all this stuff. And I was, you know, starting to make a little bit of progress, but not fully moving the needle. Uh, and then yeah, found Instagram, you know, and at some point found Vince and started working with him. And he was really the person who turned my health around for sure. So not to say that I don't still have my issues that I struggle with or that, you know, creep back in, but it's night and day from where it used to be. So that's pretty much it. That is insane. That is sounds like a very long and difficult journey. Was there like any point at that where you considered giving up on like trying to find a solution? Because if I'm correct, it sounds like you work with a lot of different specialists and like they basically were saying like, Hey, we don't know what's going on. Well, because I started with Western medicine, so going to my general practitioner, then going to neurologist, and I, you know, I was going down the Google rabbit hole. So basically, self-diagnosing myself with everything. Uh, so I lived the majority of my twenties just in this like constant state of fear, and then also not fully being present because I was always trying to figure out what was going on with my health. So, yeah, that was a really a really difficult time. And there were many, many days when I said to myself, like, this is how my life is going to be. I am just going to live the rest of it feeling like suboptimal and worrying, like, is it going to get worse? Because once you have one autoimmune disease, then you're more likely to get another. So yeah, I was constantly living in the sphere based state, which is you know not good for your healing. Um, And it was, yeah, like when I reached out to Vince, I was kind of like, this is my last ditch effort. So if this doesn't work, then I give up. So luckily (laughs) it worked. And yeah, now here I am doing a lot better. So what do you think it was different about Vince than everyone else you worked with that allowed him to help you? So I don't think it was like Vince himself necessarily, although Mm -hmm. Vince is one of the most confident people I have ever met. (laughs) So I was watching, I was watching his live video last night before bed, um, you know, like a Q and a, and just the stuff he says, I was like, you are so irreverent, but you know, you, you have belief like that is no matter what journey you are on. It all starts with that unwavering belief in yourself. And I often say that if you don't have it, borrow that belief from another person. So like hire a coach and 
They will see your untapped potential. They can help instill that belief in you. So even though I was very like regimented, I could follow a plan. I could do all the things like I didn't have the belief in my ability to not do what he was telling me. It was just like, is your protocol actually going to work? So we got on a call and I'll never forget. He was looking at my lab work. He's like, well, I'll be honest with you, but your case is one of the worst I've ever seen. But if you do exactly as I tell you to do, you will get better. So like, don't worry. I got you. Everything's going to be good. And that probably is what I needed to hear. And then I followed this. It's a crazy protocol. You look at this thing on paper and like, this man has lost his mind. (laughs) So (laughs) it was so different than anything else I had ever done before. And it starts with something called a flush, which I will say, and it's really ironic that it's this time of year, you know, as we're getting into uh, the new year where detoxes and all those things are so popular, like it kind of is a detox protocol, but mm-hmm. in a much healthier way. So people are like, oh, well, you know, your liver and your kidneys, they can detox for you. And it's like, well, yes, but if your liver and your kidneys and, you know, all of your other detox organs, your your mm-hmm. gut is overburdened, then it's not going to be able to do its job. And that mine was definitely compromised. So essentially it's this very, you know, rigorous meal plan. Um, a lot of like juicing. I mean, you definitely eat food. I was probably eating upwards of like 2000 calories a day. Um, so I, what it's not like a starvation diet, but you, you use that on top of other supplements that help to like kill off like bacteria in your gut, open up those detox pathways and really allow everything to, you know, kind of be flushed out, so to speak. That's why he calls it the flush. And Jeremiah, it was insane. I went from feeling like bloated every day of my life in so much pain, looking like I was six months pregnant for months, no matter what I ate, no matter how good I was to being symptom-free in a couple of weeks. And yeah. And then those symptoms like never, like it's a very, (laughs) you feel like hell at first because there's like all these detox kind of symptoms, um, like brain fog, fatigue, joint muscle pain, that kind of thing, which really goes to show, wow, there's, there's something going on in there. Uh, And then once you get over that hump, you feel like a new person. So it's pretty transformative. Um, but yeah, that was my experience. That's amazing. First of all, I'm glad that you were able to actually come to a solution within that. Do you think this has given you a unique perspective as a coach at all, just because you've gone through something like that that not very many people have? Oh, um, yeah, I, I think so. Just how like anybody is has the ability to overcome adversity if they really have that desire. And, you know, it's, it can be challenging to make those changes to your lifestyle, but if you want something as bad as you say you do, then it's pretty amazing what the human psyche or spirit has the ability to overcome from a mental or emotional standpoint. You know, you really can I mean, I remember like I had to give up coffee. I was like, you got to be kidding me. Like I, (laughs) Oh no. Like someone says, or someone here is like, I got to get coffee. They're like, yeah, screw that. (laughs) So, um, yeah, but yes, there were some definite changes that I had to make. Uh, the, probably the most difficult one, it was weird because the coffee didn't become that much of an issue, but for me, it was backing off the training. So I was someone Mm -hmm. who would hit the gym, you know, four to five days per week, hard, 
for as long as I could remember. I mean, before I came to him, I could probably count on one hand the number of missed weight training sessions that I had had. And I had to go to like two days per week of these just like circus ask circus act movements. And I was like, it was awful. Um, it was just like this like random circuit. I'm like, did you pull these exercises out of a hat and just like throw them at the wall to create a program? Um, but it really was just with the intention of taking the stress off your system. So walk yoga, do a couple of these weightlifting workouts, uh, just until your body heals. And then I was able to, to get back to what I was, you know, doing previously, but yeah, to take that, to have that trust in someone and even like trust in your body to not gain all this weight, to not lose all the progress that you've worked so hard to make over the years. It was that, all right, take one step back to take two steps forward. And it is, it's the, probably the hardest thing that I've ever had to do for sure, but totally worth it. I I love that. Thank you for sharing all that. My pleasure. So I want to dig into just kind of a hodgepodge of questions really around your coaching style, but also kind of related to what we discussed there. First, you mentioned kind of the power of psyche and really like if you determine, like if you truly like want to do something as much as you say you do, like what we're really capable of. So I would ask you then, when you're faced with a situation where a client isn't following through with what they need to be doing to achieve the results you want or that they want, and this is a very like general question is something that's probably pretty nuanced depending on the client, but in general, like how do you kind of go about approaching that? I know there's kind of two different sides of the industry. One, there's like the perspective of, okay, we need a motivational interview, right? Like we need to get them deeper, deeper connected with us. On the other, it's like, you just don't want it bad enough, right? Mm-hmm. Like you don't want it as bad as you say you do. Where do you kind of fall within that spectrum? Do you have a general take on like how we approach this? Oh, that's a, that's such a good question because it's something that I have been thinking about a lot lately. Uh, as I work with more people, as I realize that the women who come to me are not me. I mean, there are a couple who are just so... I guess, regimented and I read their check-in and just like, bam, bam, bam. Okay. You're good. You know, like they have no issues following the macros, anything like that. And, and that's like a very, you know, quote unquote, like easy client to have, but that is the exception, not the norm. Most people come Mm -hmm. to me with a lot of, you know, deep rooted issues that we have to work through. And what's interesting, Jeremiah is I really have to take a step back and have some perspective and compassion and empathy for the people who do struggle with the things that for me have never been an issue. Like I started working out when I was 12 years old. I started, you know, technically dieting probably when I was that age too. And never have I dealt with, I mean, I'm not going to say like motivation. I mean, there are definitely days when I don't want to go to the gym, but never have I dealt with that just extreme lack of consistency or all or nothing thinking around my food and my fitness. And maybe it's because it's what was modeled to me growing up by essentially Mm -hmm. my dad, you know, maybe like work ethic by both my parents, excuse me. So it was just something that, you know, has always come naturally for me. So there was definitely a time, especially in the beginning of my coaching career. And I mean, probably even like up until fairly recently where I'm like, God, it's, it's not that hard people. It's like, it's not that hard to pre-track your food and, you know, so 
funny you should ask this question because I was looking at someone's post, like another coach in the industry, and I'm sure we've all made these posts. And I thought about making them myself where it's like, you know, you, you say you don't have the time to, yeah, pre-log your food, yet you're scrolling Instagram for an hour every night, or you say you don't have time to meal prep, but you're watching Netflix for three hours or, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, yes, but there is like, that's all simple stuff, but there's a reason that person is not doing it. And so we really have to get to the root as to kind of like with the motivational interviewing, like you were saying, like, why is that? Because if we say that we want something bad enough, then you would think that it would be, yeah, that easy to do. And it's just not. And I look at it myself and I was like, yeah, I don't struggle with my health and my fitness, but when it comes to building my business, I mean, my business coaches are probably like, Marcy, would you get your act together? Like, it's not that hard to, you know, consistently send out emails to your list. (laughs) So I think it's just like really meeting those people where they are and, and recognizing that some things are going to be really easy for one person and then they're, or it's going to come easy for, for them in like one area of their life. So we, I'm sure you too, too, have a lot of high achieving women who Mm -hmm. have successful businesses and families and all that, but they struggle with their health. And like where for me, it might be my health and my fitness is together, but I struggle with like my relationship or my business or something like that. So yeah, I think it's just figuring out what, what the challenge is for each person specifically. And that's not necessarily an easy task, but it's creating that awareness and then, you know, going from there. I love that so much. I think that's such a valuable insight. Like you said, like maybe these people you're working with do like crush it in business, right? And you have to look at most people that are coaches, nutrition and training is probably something that's always come at least relatively easy to you. And it's kind of like what you enjoy, but like you go again, I feel like it's easy to almost like judge people and almost like attach morality to it. Like you're lazy because you don't do these things to take care of your body, right? Whereas you could just as easily make that same comparison. We're like, okay, look at this person's relationships relative to mine and how much better they manage that. I, I think that's a that's a very good perspective. I think it's, again, just being able to step outside of yourself there is the hardest thing and like look at it from a different point mm-hmm. of view. And, and one thing I'll say about that too, and I've had to you know really think about this for my own life when it comes to my fitness, my nutrition is... I know how uncomfortable I was when I was younger, and I'm sure that there is a fear of going back to that place. So yes, there is some inherent, I'm not going to say discipline or motivation, but like work ethic or ease when it comes to that area of my life. But is it fueled by a fear of going back to where I was when I was younger? Probably so. So it's almost like for someone who's just getting started, like you don't know what you don't know. You don't know like how good it can be. So when there's like, when you're dipping your toes into those, like, what is it? (laughs) Uncharted territory, I guess. Um, You don't know what you have to lose. And so it can be more challenging to even take that first step because you're just kind of comfortable. Even if your current comfort is discomfortable or is discomfort, it's not necessarily as uncomfortable as like taking that first step. I love that. I, I don't think I disagree with any of that. I like that take a lot. 
Um, something else he said, emotional and mindset work is the foundation of change. Mm-hmm. I'd like to dig into that a little bit more. So when you're working with a client, how are you kind of going about addressing this? Are there like pillars or like, Hey, we want to make sure this is in place and this is in place. Like when we're addressing the emotional and mindset piece of this, like within your coaching, can you give us a rough idea of like what that looks like or how you attack that? Well, it's just, it's different for every person. So I do one-on-one coaching and you know I don't have a course or a, like I do have a, a framework kind of, but mm-hmm. I feel like sometimes coaches will bring someone in and they'll like put each person into a specific box. And I was like, well, that's, you know, people are different and we all have our specific struggles. So that is what I think I'm really good at when it comes to being a coach is figuring out what that person struggles with the most and then working on it with them individually based on, you know, where they're starting from, what their issue is, even as far as that person's like personality type, you know, like there are some people who you Mm -hmm. can give a little bit more tough love to. There are some people who you have to, (laughs) you know, like tread more lightly. Um, but I think when it comes to the mindset side of things, and this is just what I see the most in the women I work with is the, the all or nothing black and white thinking. And I would say that's pretty much unanimous, unanimous across the board. And that is what I am addressing first and foremost with pretty much everybody. Okay. I don't know if you, do you see that with your clients? Oh, absolutely. And I think that especially like, I mean, across the board, I think it's very, very common. If you look at like a high achiever that you're working with and the idea of like, okay, I'm not going to be able to be perfect with this, like drives people crazy. Right. When the reality is I think like, and I myself, like I hate the idea of like, Hey, we're going to call this good enough rather than like, we're pushing to like make it excellent. Right. But (laughs) I think it's very much when it comes to nutrition, like or training, like that's just not gonna be feasible. Um, so when we're talking about all or nothing thinking, then because I think probably most of the listeners of the podcast can relate to that struggle. How are you kind of addressing that or working through that with clients? Again, like uh, I know these are very general questions, oh, and like, the questions. listener should always understand. Hey, this this depends on the client, but just in general, how are you kind of addressing this? Yeah. Well. <sighs> it's coming at it from that perspective of, all right, even if you can't do something perfectly, like let's think logically about this. Isn't it better to take one step in the right direction to do a little bit of something than doing absolutely nothing at all and either making no progress or possibly digging yourself into an even deeper hole. (laughs) And going back to the perfectionist thing, I would consider myself a recovering perfectionist for sure. So I can certainly, and maybe you as well. I think any of us entrepreneur, like entrepreneur go-getter types do have a little bit of that in us. So I know for myself, I've sat on ideas because I don't feel like it's going to be perfect enough to put it out in the world. And I had an epiphany moment. I was listening to this husband and wife. They are kind of like, I guess they're mindset coaches for high achieving women, especially ones who deal with emotional and binge eating. And they talk about perfectionism a lot. And they're like, you think that by not doing something, because it's not going to be perfect, 
like makes you more of a higher achiever because, oh, I have all these high standards when really not putting something out there is not living up to your full potential. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. I like, I was just like, wow, like that is a mind blowing moment. So much better just to do something, even if it's not your best work, uh, even if you fail, at least now you have the experience, you've learned the lesson. Um, Or if you do put something out there, it's like, okay, you know, I'm fairly satisfied with this. Well, at least now I have the, the basic foundation. I can reiterate, I can make it better, but that is way more helpful than not doing anything at all because you're living in your head, worried about, you know, criticism or yeah, it not being good enough. So when I heard that, I was like, wow, that, that makes so much sense. You know? I love that. I can really resonate with that because I've definitely fallen into that trap as well. I really like to frame this to clients as like, Hey, if we're just good enough to maintain, even like we're looking at it across the course of the week, like you make progress three days of the week. You just do good enough to maintain with far from perfect, good enough. Okay. That's still a week in net, net progress. And even like that little bit really seems to like be a light bulb with people where it's like, okay, like we just have to step back and kind of look at the bigger picture of this rather than get so focused on like, okay, a single day and I can't be perfect here. Right. Yeah. And then when they feel like they can't be perfect, it's like they throw their hands up in the air. Well, I might as not, I might as well not do anything or I might as well just do whatever is going to make me feel better in the moment. So mm-hmm. whether that's overeat, you know, resort to less self-honoring behaviors or coping mechanisms. And now they have dug themselves back into a hole. So I was listening to a podcast. Uh, are you familiar with Danny Matranga? Yeah. Yeah. So I was listening to his podcast last week and another thing that resonated, which I think we all know this, but just the way, sometimes the way that somebody says something is like, oh, I really like how that was phrased. And he said, whenever you are at that point, like kind of that decision point of, do I stop here? Like I've already gotten off track. Do I stop Mm -hmm. here and take the next right considered action? Or do I allow myself to keep going in the wrong direction? He's like, like, don't have it be a bunch of, you know, mental drama, just get back to neutral. And all you have to do is stop digging. So, and I was like, yes, exactly. So it's like, just accept that you, you did it. Oh, well, but what is better to, you know, again, what is the next right thing that I can do? So first of all, be neutral. Like don't beat yourself up over it. Um, and then take the next right considered action or is it, you know, do that mental gymnastics and, oh, I'm a failure. you know, I know I'm not cut out for this. I did it again, which is just going to make you feel worse. And then you take action from those feelings and then you keep digging. And now again, you've, you've set yourself back. So rather than maintaining the progress or even allowing yourself to get 1% better, now you're, you know, kind of in the hole that you now need to dig yourself out of. I really like that perspective of stop digging. I think that's a great way to frame it. I'm definitely going to steal that as well. So <laughs> credit to Danny for that one. <laughs> oh, Danny. <laughs> uh, all right. Next, I want to talk about dealing with trigger foods because this is a, I've seen you have a couple posts on this, one relatively recently that I really enjoyed. Um, and as you put it, kind of how we build self-trust 
around these things. So I know like a lot of times my advice to clients has been like, Hey, like, let's just keep this out of the house. Let's try to keep portions, like put yourself in a situation where we can better manage portions. And like, if you're going to get it, we have to go like through the drive through or whatever. So we can like automatically manage portion. But it sounded like, I think you had a different, honestly, I would say probably better approach. I would kind of like to dig into, okay. So you have a client come to you. They're struggling with trigger foods. In general, like, what's this process? Like, how do we go about kind of building self-trust around those foods and like being okay with having those foods around? Well, the first step is just practice. Like you have to put yourself in the situation to practice knowing, like going into it with the realization or the acceptance really that you might slip up. Because if you've been doing something one way for a very long time, you have not had this self-trust. And when let's say, what what would one of my like former trigger foods be? Um, banana chips. Because <laughs> they're hyper like, Did you okay. say ew? <laughs> I hate banana chips, but yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's so funny because like, I don't really like banana. Like all of this banana and everything and ice cream and bread. I'm like, oh, it just like takes over. Uh, but I love banana or plantain chips. We'll say plantain chips. They're even better, but they're, you know, they're fatty, they're crunchy, they're salty, like all of that. And, and they're very hard to stop eating. So there was a time where I wouldn't even bring them into the house because I knew you're going to say like, Oh, have a handful or even like portion out a handful. And then you're going to keep going, especially in a maybe, you know, stressed out state, a hungry state, whatever. So, but like you can't practice if you don't try. So if you don't put yourself in that situation, then how do you ever expect for it to not be a trigger food one? And then two, like we know this, it's one of those situations of don't think about a white elephant, Jeremiah. Okay. What did you just do? You thought about the white elephant, right? So if you are restricting something, then you are going to be thinking about it more and more. And that deprivation, that restriction will at some point lead to overeating because scarcity mindset, oh, you know, this is an off limits food and I don't know when I'm going to be able to get it again. So if I do overeat it, I might as well eat as much as I can because, you know, tomorrow I'm going to have to go back to saying that that is not allowed in the house or whatever the case may be. So I think it can be a step-by-step process. And again, maybe you just don't bring in, like in my situation, 10 bags of plantain chips into the house. But like you said, maybe I bring in, you know, one bag or if it's something that you really struggle with, a single serving. So now you are building that trust. You're practicing that, hey, I can have one serving. And even if I don't even have the opportunity to keep eating because that's all I brought out of the house, at least I am kind of creating that neural pathway, that like new neural pathway that mm-hmm. I, it, and to rewriting your story that I can stop at this amount and I'll be fine. Like the world's not going to end. And so now maybe the next step is, okay, I will bring in more. I'll portion out a serving. And even if it feels really difficult to not even, or to not eat more than that, even though my brain is telling me to, I'm going to practice the pause. I am going to get out of this environment and put myself in that uncomfortable situation. And then again, build that trust that, all right, I can do it. 
and it just gets easier and easier from Mm -hmm. there. So that's kind of the practical, but when it comes to the mental, I am all about language and how important the words that you speak are. They become a self-fulfilling prophecy. So one thing I do think I'm good about with my coaching is being able to notice that language that people are using. So the, I can't, I never, I always, X food is a trigger food. X food is my kryptonite. It's my weakness. I was like, you're right. It is. And as long as you keep telling yourself that it's going to continue to be. So can we change the language? Because yeah, your brain is really powerful. It believes what you, what you tell it. So, you know, I am working to build more self-trust around X food, not this thing is like, it's not, it's not uh, so black and white. I love that. I think that's all very insightful and helpful. I know definitely the clients I've had had the most struggle with this because I think, honestly, I think we approach this more similarly than I expected where are like clients who are, I would say typically like in their forties and fifties and maybe have dieted on and off for a very long time. And for like whatever reason, like I had, I have one client in particular that comes to mind who really struggled with this and she had just come from a diet where she wasn't allowed to eat potatoes. The, literally the most satiating food. Like, satiating I, food, yeah. I don't, uh, but anyways, and I know that was very much like a, just, I think clients who have had a relationship with food where it's like, okay, these specific foods are very, very off limits. And for whatever reason, I think people that have dieted like longer or more often seem to like have that more. I know that's definitely been a challenge and it always is very much like a push into the uncomfortable to like, okay, rather than just continue to avoid these, like you did your last three diets, they always like come back in and like, sabotage you like we have to like work through this and just address this at some point right otherwise it's because i think for a lot of people that is like the thing that ends up like okay i, I avoided these foods i restricted i lost the weight but it came back because i could do that for forever right so i think it's just understanding like for as a listener like you will have to address that at some point if you don't want it to always be kind of the railing of your progress yeah if you don't want food to have power over you then you do have to address it and it's a very liberating feeling when you can because food's not going away and like yeah you can try to avoid it and i will say it's like know thyself there are what you call apps abstainers and moderators and there's this woman her name's gretchen rubin she wrote a book it's like a habit-based book but she categorizes people into multiple frameworks one is the abstainer versus the moderator she calls herself an abstainer. So she knows that she does better when she eats a very low carbohydrate diet. So it's funny because in her book, she used the example of French fries. Uh, she's like, I know like those are a trigger food. So I do better just avoiding them completely. And I don't mind being on a low carb diet. And I think some people like that's just how their mind works. That's fine. But if you know that you are not like that, you know, you want to, or even you want to become more of a moderator, then yeah, you got to put yourself in the position. You have to practice. You have to accept that you're not going to be perfect. It could be a little bit messy at first. Oh, and also just because you've gotten better with it doesn't mean that you're never going to slip up again. So another one of my former trigger foods was like nuts. So cashews, almonds, all those things, you know, nut butters. Uh, and I was at my parents' house the other night and I was a little bit stressed. I was a little bit hungry. And my mom had, you know, cause it's like the holidays bags of nuts. Like, and if it wasn't open, I probably wouldn't have opened the bag, but right. the bag of cashews was, they were was out in the garage. I went there, I saw those bags up and I'm like, yeah, I'll have a couple. And before you know it, like 
I've eaten quite a bit of cashews. <laughs> so yeah, even someone like someone like myself still has those slip-ups, but no mental drama around it. I was like, all right, it is what it is. Like I know the reason why and on to the next, you know? Mm-hmm. I love that. Again, that almost ties back in our previous conversation about falling up and thinking and kind of just, Hey, if we can stop thinking, it's all okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like that a lot. I again, think there's a lot of this applicable there. All right. My last question for you, morning routines. Mm. Do you have one? Why do you think they matter? If you do. Uh, think Yes. So anyone who watches my stories is probably so bored by seeing my morning routine at this point. Uh, You know, it's evolved over the years and it kind of fluctuates just depending on how I'm feeling, what I'm learning at the time. But it always starts with journaling. I think that I'm not going to, you know, sit here and say like everyone has to journal. But I feel like if there is one thing that anyone can benefit from, It is getting your thoughts out on paper first thing. So yes, gratitude journaling, yes, affirmations, like all of that is fine. I do it. I have something called the focus journal, which I love, but what I find to be even more helpful to set the tone for my day is to free write like any and everything that is on my mind. So going back to my story of chronic illness, I didn't mention that I also dealt with chronic back pain. And I guess you would call it plantar fasciitis since I was 12 years old. Like why does a 12 year old have lower back pain and chronic or plantar fasciitis, right? So again, going like getting the x-rays, getting the orthotics, going to all the massage therapists, the chiropractors and never getting any relief. So the beginning of of lockdown, I came across, I keep talking about all these like podcasts that I listen to. I'm a huge podcast listener. And I came across this one about something called journal speak. So the woman who was being interviewed has this process of essentially free writing for 20 minutes, any and everything that is on your mind. Um, so okay. a lot, of, like, there's three categories. I won't get too much into it but it's this kind of like emotional excavation process because what she says is that when you hold in emotions, they have a lot of power over you, but also they can create like pain and illness in the body. So I was like, Oh, that's interesting. I am not kidding you, Jeremiah. I started this process and I did it for two days. It was kind of like Vince's freaking flush program. Two days later, my back and foot pain was gone. And it has never come back in two years. Like maybe I get lower back pain if I went a little too heavy on RDLs or something like that. But like the chronic, just like throbbing pain that I had for so long, gone. So there is something to it. Um, so okay. yeah, journaling for sure. Uh, and I, and even if you don't have chronic pain, I think we all have just that kind of like residual shit <laughs> that you know right. weighs heavily on our mind. Um, and just getting that out can create space for, you know, um, more positive feelings, more positive thoughts to come in and just for you to be, I think, um, yeah, a little bit more clear and level-headed. So journaling is always a part of my day while drinking my coffee. I have my lemon water first, then I drink my coffee and as I journal, and then I go for a walk. Sometimes I will throw in meditation there. I kind of like go back and forth between meditation, but that's pretty much it. And you know, the morning routine, like I'm single, I don't have kids, so I have more time than maybe somebody else does. I get it. Even if it's only 10 minutes, just do something for you that, again, I'm always talking about the brain that sends a signal to your brain. Like, Hey, I'm important. 
I matter, I am worthy of prioritizing, of taking care of. And again, that sets the tone. So now you've created like one win for your day and that creates more momentum to continue making those good choices. I forgot that I also make my bed. I think that's the number one. <laughs> okay. Okay. You know, anyone can make their bed. <laughs> Your morning routine is like literally exactly like mine, except for I don't make my bed. Um, Jeremiah, <laughs> does your wife make your bed? <laughs> uh, she does actually. So we're good. <laughs> there you go. someone's but making. someone's making it at least. I, I agree though. I think I, I really, how I like to look at this or explain it to people is like, we look at our body and we wouldn't expect to like create the physique we want without intentionally working towards it. Or like same thing goes for your career or even relationships. But it's weirdly, I think we all expect that like, okay, every day I should just like wake up and like feel exactly how I want to and like feel motivated and inspired and like all these things. And like, granted, we won't always feel motivated regardless. But I think again, like a lot of it's just like our bodies, like we want to create change there. It's taking responsibility for like putting yourself in the conditions and taking the actions that will like lead to those changes changes right and I think like when it comes to mindset and just being in the mental space that you want again like you have to take responsibility to like do things like a morning routine like journaling I agree like it's always the like pulling teeth for me every single morning but I'm always so glad that I did it after because it is just so helpful for me mentally yeah and like that's the thing is I don't always love to do it and right. but I, I talk myself whenever you know those negative thoughts are like, oh, you don't need to journal today, you don't need to go for your walk. I just think about I, like I think about my future self and how does she want to feel? How does she want to carry herself through the rest of her day? And it's always it starts by doing that difficult thing. Even right now, you know, like I go, it's not super cold. You're in Arizona, so you get it. I'm in California. I mean, right. it gets into like the mid 30s in the morning. Like it's cold, mm-hmm. but it's not minus something like it is in some parts of the country. But I most mornings show a picture of you know me going out on my morning walk, and I'll put the temperature and all that just to kind of see like, hey, it's not comfortable, but I'm still out here doing it. And some people will respond to me like, oh, you're such an inspiration, or how do you do it? And I was like, well, I like to put myself in uncomfortable positions. I like to expose myself to the elements to prove that I'm stronger than my mind. So yeah, you gotta, you gotta get uncomfortable for any change to happen. I love that so much. I think that's the perfect note in this on. This yeah. has been such a fun show. I really like all the co- topics we've covered here. And again, I really appreciate you coming on. Um, before I let you go, will you just tell everybody where they can find you and anything at all you have going on that you would like to plug? Absolutely. Um, the only thing I really have going on is just you know, my one-on-one coaching. That's where I do all of my work with clients. And then you can find me on Instagram, just my name, Marcy Nevin. I don't really do Facebook or anything like that. And I also have a podcast with two other ladies called The Decades of Strength. And you can find that wherever podcasts are located. Perfect. And if people want to reach out to you about coaching, should they just DM you or how would you prefer that? Yeah, you can DM me. You can click the link in my bio that takes you to the application. So we are currently accepting clients. I also have an assistant coach. I know you do as well. Um, so yeah, always wanting to grow her roster and help as many people as we can. So thank you for that. I appreciate it. Of course. I will. (laughs) Exactly. I will link all that up in the show notes. And again, thank you so much for being here. You are so welcome. Thanks, Jeremiah.